It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie. Good afternoon and you're very welcome along to The Late Lunch. I'm Alison O'Reilly and I'm filling in for Jerry Kelly this week. It's my first time on LMFM so I'm very excited and I'm hoping that you'll contact the show and have a little chat with me if it's something that you want to raise. Um, the number is to contact us, if it's safe to do so, of course. You can text us on 86 658 That's 86 658 I'm here until half past three and we have a very, very busy show lined up for you. Coming up on the show, we former assistant guard, the commissioner, Pat Leahy. And uh, I wondered if you're if you're like me at all. In the last year, I've become a little bit obsessed with wild birds. So I'm hoping that uh, any of the bird fans out there like myself, your newfound love, if you have any interest in birds at all, we'll be speaking to Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland, who will be here. We'll be talking about self-defence classes and edible coffee cups. So stay tuned. And of course, give us a shout 086 658 But my first guest is my local former superintendent, Pat Lee, who went all the way up the ranks into Garda HQ to become the assistant Garda Commissioner. Pat, how are you? Good afternoon, Alison. I'm well. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to have you on, Pat. How's things? Very well, Alison. I can't complain, I must say. And I suppose with the weather we have at the moment... How could you complain? Exactly. Just beautiful at the moment. It's gorgeous. Pat, I mean, you have had a phenomenal career. Nearly 40 years in the Gardaí. That's a frightening number, uh, Alison. (laughs) I've I've been very lucky, Alison. And that's the reality uh, of it. And uh, the guards were really good to me. And uh, I say that in the context of they educated me. They sent me around the world on very interesting missions. Uh, I worked through the guards with the United Nations, with the Department of Foreign Affairs. I spent some time in Namibia, Cambodia, Bosnia, the Middle East, uh, several places in Africa. So, look, I've been very, very lucky. And uh, as I say, my career in the guards has been really, really good to me, Alison. And you're very well known as well, Pat, because as a journalist, it's very, very difficult to, uh, nowadays for a guardie to speak to journalists. That's one of the big issues that we had. So we always had to go through the press office. But when we got an interview with Pat Leahy, it was always a good one. You were well able to talk to the media and you enjoyed talking to the media as well, didn't you? It's, it's a, it is a tricky sort of balance, isn't it? 
It is. It is very tricky, Alison. But I do think that it's a requirement of senior police officers in the state to uh, address communities and talk to communities about what's going on in their area. I think there's an expectation that if people are being promoted into certain positions, that they'll be in a position to communicate uh, with their local communities on issues that are that are important to them. And uh, I don't think it's 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 the right approach to take to uh, you know silence people and have single speakers and that like. No, your local superintendent, your local chief superintendent, or your local assistant commissioner is so au fait with the people, the stakeholders, and their needs and what is happening on the ground. I think absolutely there should be an expectation that they'll communicate with the people. And this was one of the things as well that you became very well known for because when you were a superintendent in the um, Store Street station, my local station, um, you had set up this award-winning community policing programme, which uh, I found out about because I opened my front door one day and two guards were standing there with a questionnaire and started to ask me about quality of life and what I had seen around the area and was there any concerns I had. And of course, that led me to say, what's this about? And I'm going to have to ask the Garda Press Office. And then you and I spoke and um, this programme was huge. Just tell us a little bit about the, the community policing programme. Well, look, uh, you were the first one actually to report on that, Alison. And as you rightly outlined there, the lads were calling to all the houses in the north inner city and they were interviewing the occupants to find out, like, you know, what is it around here that causes you difficulty? What would you like the police to be uh, doing for you? How would you rate the police response so far? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? That's what it was based on. But it was based on the census data and what are called small areas of population. And that's the way that the census breaks down the country into very small areas between maybe 150 and 200 households. So we said policing should reflect the same because that's about as far as it goes uh, for people on the ground. Like, you know, they're more familiar with their own personal areas, their own localities, and that's what bothers them. It doesn't really bother people what's happening, you know, four estates away or four streets away. They're interested in what's happening around here right now. And I suppose what prompted it was we were coming into uh, 2008, 2009. We knew that the economy was about to collapse. We could see it collapsing uh, around us. We knew that there was going to be huge cuts in funding. There was going to be huge cuts in salary. We were going to lose personnel, which we did. We lost about 25% of our personnel. And uh, I can remember having a conversation uh, one morning with my uh, superintendent and saying, look, guys, we're not going to have the people. If you only had 20 or 30 people in your district, you know, where would you put them to get the best bang for your buck? Where would you put them on the street? You know? And uh, so we decided that we'd have to do something new here in order to, to keep the ground that we had gained over the previous few years. Because, I mean, the North Inner City didn't always have a good relationship with its local police. And we had uh, worked very hard with the, with the community policing uh, frameworks that were already in place within the community themselves. And the CPF was there, the Community Policing Forum, hugely helpful at the time, I must say. And it was a great platform for us to start with. So we mapped out the whole uh, division. We appointed guards to very, very small areas. And uh, we met them once a month to ask them how it was going, what was happening. But we set up a one-stop shop then in the uh, divisional headquarters where people could ring directly and they would get an immediate response to their needs. And it just took off from there. And in fairness to the local um, politicians, the elected representatives in there, the councillors, they all came on board. The business community came on board. 
and uh, it worked really well for us. And that in 2015, we were actually awarded European Best Practice in Community Policing. You were. I mean, it was an outstanding project because, as you mentioned, it 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 was a. It the north inner city is a difficult area. It's challenging. And the loss of contact between your local Garda and the community had been missed for a long, long time. We've, we've fallen into statistics and CSO figures, but we were missing the sort of in-between, the grey area. But also we were missing the one-to-one. Yeah, absolutely, Alison. And I can't say that look that we created it. We we didn't create community policing. Community policing was always uh, around the north inner city, and there was some fabulous community guards there long before I arrived. There the superintendents that were there in my time. But you blew what a lot we, of you blew a lot of air into it and revived it. Yeah, and, and that's what it was about. It was about just, uh, I suppose, reigniting it, like, you know, and uh, putting new life into it and having a different approach to it. That's what we tried to uh, uh, bring to it. And we did to a large extent, but we, we you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy starting out. And in fairness to the community, they had heard it all at that stage. The local councillors had heard it all. Uh, so they were a little bit reticent, uh, reticent to come on board immediately. But in fairness to them, they gave us great support once they saw that we were uh, committed to it because we took guards from all sorts of uh, units and put them back into community policing. We cut down on the regular units and that wasn't easy because people had their careers set out in front of them in their own minds about what was going to work for them. So it was really difficult change for people. But in fairness to them, they bought into it and they went uh, with it. And uh, in fairness... They got the accolades afterwards in terms of being recognised for what they had achieved. And uh, But again, we can't claim total credit for it if the community stakeholders hadn't been on board, if the local councillors hadn't been on board, you know, if the local residents hadn't been on board, we'd have achieved nothing. I can remember, Alison, and I, and I, and I finish on the community mm. policing bit here, I can remember walking down Sheriff Street one day and meeting the community guard coming towards me up the street. Mm. And uh, I was in the full uniform, one of the supers was with me. And he had a child sitting on each foot as he was walking up the middle of uh, Sheriff Street <laughs> with their arms around his knees. And he was walking up with the two kids and he in full uniform as the community guard. <laughs> and I just remember saying to myself, we're here, lads. We've arrived. Yeah. This is it. This is what it's supposed to be about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some, some, great, some great stuff. But you did have some very difficult times in the North Inner City too. But we're going to take a break, Pat. Stay with us. Um, we're speaking to the former Assistant Guard Commissioner, Pat Leahy, who was very central to uh, the North Inner City in Dublin as well when he was superintendent there. Pat, stay with us. We'll be back after this. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect electric car for you. Drop in and test drive the all-new Zoe today at Blackstone Motors and receive a huge discount along with the SEAI grant of €4,800 exclusively at Blackstone Motors. See blackstonemotors.ie now, welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. I'm filling in for Jerry Kelly all this week. And on the line, if you've just joined us, Pat Leahy, the former Garda Assistant Commissioner, was on the phone to us before the break and he's still with us. Pat, some amazing highs and amazing lows in the job, I'm sure, as a Garda. And one of the lows was probably the biggest feud in the history of the state, the, the Kinahan and Hutch feud, which was in your territory. That's right. That's that's where it started, Alison. And I suppose it really is the next chapter after the community policing chapter that we just discussed there. We were awarded European Best Practice in Community Policing in 2015. 
And in 2015, that was the first real uh, murder in the feud that uh, happened in Spain when Gary Hutch was murdered. And I suppose uh, all of our ears kind of pricked up when we heard that and we said, you know, we got together and said, we're going to have to be careful here now. There's every chance that there'll be uh, a response to this. And of course, the response then was the Regency. Yes. And uh, the actual reaction to the Regency was just, it was it was just relentless. I mean, three days after the Regency, we had uh, Eddie Hutch being killed in his in his own home. And uh, it didn't stop after that. So, I mean, from, we went from one high, you know, with, with having get, gotten back into the community, having been awarded best practice in Europe for community policing, and all of a sudden we were withdrawing it because we were in preservation of life mode. So we ended up redirecting uh, our community guards, like, you know, to, to various different locations where we knew there were other targets living, and we ended up putting up permanent checkpoints, we ended up with armed guardy across the north inner city. We had our ERU and our ASUs out. That's our emergency response units uh, out. Uh, so from community guards, we went to police in helmets and black uniforms and rifles. And it just, it, was, it went against everything that we wanted for the area. But there was no other answer. As I say, we were in preservation of life mode and that came first. So we were in... in uh, I suppose talks with the local uh, teachers, the local headmasters, the headmistresses, the local councillors, you know, because the kids on their way to school were passing these uh, highly armed checkpoints. And it was just sending out all the wrong signals for us. So we were trying to move our checkpoints that they wouldn't be close to the schools. But at the same time, we had people that were potential targets dropping their kids off to school and collecting them every day at, at set times. So it was a really, really difficult uh, situation for us to try and find a balance there while trying to uh, keep people alive at the same time, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was witness to those uh, checkpoints and uh, the visibility, though, is a very good deterrent, I believe, myself, because you, you just appear to be everywhere. But what I wanted to ask you, Pat, was, I mean, you, you, you had your men in the homes of people around the north inner city, so you would have been in the homes of these people who ended up caught up in this feud. Well, uh, once it once it started, we didn't have them in the homes. Like you know, they didn't spend time in there. Yeah, but they were yeah. certainly permanently in the vicinity. Yeah. And uh, I suppose well, some people accused us uh, at the time of protecting uh, people that were involved in this, and we weren't. We were protecting the community. Yeah. But we knew where the likely areas where where gunplay was likely to erupt. So we had to respond uh, to that. So we did put permanent checkpoints and permanent beats in place, along with the armed checkpoints in the location. And that's what would have been expected uh, of us. As I say, look, we were in preservation of life mode and it's the highest level we could find ourselves at. So we had to focus on that. But unfortunately, the actual uh, look in the city, in, in the north inner city at the time, was not the look that we were going for. And we couldn't allow it to be normalised, that, that the kids would see this as being normal. So we worked with the local councillors and all the key stakeholders, most importantly the schools, to try and you know, keep this down or keep it out of the psyche as much as, as we could. But look, I fear... And that's a picture uh, that some of the children that came up through this particular decade 
you know, will remember for the rest of their lives. And that's really, really unfortunate. I know, it's very, very difficult. And of course, Pat, here in Drogheda, they were, the people of Drogheda were affected by a terrible feud in the last couple of years. Um, from your own experience, what is the impact on communities when something like this happens? The innocent bystanders who, bystanders who, who you know, don't want this in their town. I mean, for the Drogheda people, they suffered as well. It has a huge impact, uh, Alison. I mean, the fear that goes hand in hand with these type of feuds and the violence associated with it really has a negative impact on, on people. People get to the point where they just don't want to be there any longer. They don't want to be part of this. They don't want to be affected uh, by it. But unfortunately, moving isn't, isn't that easy for everyone. And people can't just move out uh, of town. So they end up living with this. And they end up then depending on the guards to respond appropriately. But people have different views on how that should be. Uh, and the guards have to operate then within the law. So sometimes it appears as if the guards are doing nothing, mm-hmm. but behind the scenes they're doing lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. And in fairness to the guards now uh, in, in the Dorhada and Dundalk and all that, that, that area in County Loud as a whole, because it was a much wider area, mm-hmm. uh, they've been very, very successful. And uh, the people that are up there are very, very um, uh, well known in in policing for the way that they operate and the effectiveness that they bring to a situation. So I think that the people that were working there throughout this, Alison, were the best people you could have found from a policing perspective. They were really, really on top of their game. Very, very tough, it, tough circumstances. Pat, before you go, uh, how do you manage, though, the next crowd of people coming into these feuds? There's always somebody ready to take over. Well, there is, because, look, it's kind of age-bound. The people that are at the top of their game in criminality, you know, once they start hitting a certain age and it's time to kind of relax and enjoy your ill-gotten gains, there's always new people coming through wanting to dislodge you. So it's not something that is, uh, I suppose, synonymous with longevity, unfortunately, for the people uh, involved. Time catches up with you, and uh, whether if if it's not the police, it's somebody else. You know, it's a really, really dangerous lifestyle. And as I say, longevity uh, is, is not part and parcel of it or hasn't tended to be. You're in one team, Risk Management Solutions now, Pat. But do you miss the guards? What are you up to now? Uh, I'm still very much in contact uh, with the guards and with colleagues. I mean, I'm working with two uh, colleagues at the moment. Yeah, we have a risk management company. Uh, and it's, it's working really well for us. And uh, we're happy to be there. Look, your time comes and goes, Alison. Yeah. It's a young person's game. And uh, we had done everything from a policing perspective. And uh, it was when, when COVID hit, uh, I was supposed to uh, retire in March and uh, they asked me to stay on for a couple of months. I said it with other uh, officers. So I stayed on until we hit June when we were down to four cases a day. And I said, OK, look, it's time to go now. And it was just time. I knew it was time to move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, you did a fantastic job, Pat. And it's always great to talk to you. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again. Thanks, Alison, and you too. You take care. That's uh, Pat Leahy there, the former assistant guard commissioner and top guard in Dublin at the time, managing that very, very difficult Kinnahan Hutch feud. Uh, a voice of experience. We're go- the Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See Blackstone Motors now, welcome back to The Late Lunch. I'm Alison O'Reilly, filling in for Jerry Kelly all this week. So I'd love to hear from you. Do text us or call us when it's safe to do so. Uh, the text number is 086 1800 
8. And uh, coming up on the show later on, we have some great guests. If you're into wildlife and bird watching, Niall Hatch will be joining us. We'll also be talking about self-defence classes and edible coffee cups. But uh, of course, the weather is the only thing we care about at the moment. But I absolutely love, love the hot weather. And uh, Alan O'Reilly's from Curlow Weather and he's on the line to tell us more about what to expect for the rest of the week. Alan, how are you? Oh, I'm I'm warm, but I'm very good at it. <laughs> I think we're all we're all sweating. We're all sweating, Alan. I mean, this is glorious weather, isn't it? It is. Yeah, we've got high pressure sitting right over us, so very little in the way of clouds, and the temperatures have really been getting up to kind of unusual enough temperatures. We have seen them before, but we don't see them too often. And um, so, yeah, lots of sunshine and, and very warm and. Just a little bit of cloud bubbling up in the afternoons. Um, but other than that, really, it is glorious. I suppose the only maybe downside for some people like myself is trying to sleep at nighttime and the warm nights and quite humid nights as well. So if you're near the near the coast, you might be lucky enough to cool down at nighttime. But further inland, it's certainly very warm at night. No, I live beside the Liffey, so I don't have that breeze. <laughs> but I'm not too far from Bull Island. It is very warm at nighttime. I find that the hardest part, even with the windows open, it's just very humid, isn't it? Yeah, no, it really is. It's very kind of muggy and heavy nights. Mm. And it's, it's just there's not really any air moving at all. So trying to get a breeze going really even with windows open it's 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 very hard but look I, I i put a poll up on twitter yesterday asking you know was it too hot and the, the questions were yes no or stop complaining and i had over three thousand votes with 43 percent saying stop complaining so I have, I have to try and stop complaining about the hot weather <laughs> no but alan do you know i am actually one of those people who's not a big fan of the sun now i i appreciate it it's fabulous to have it i won't knock it but if i had to choose <laughs> i'm gonna just dampen everyone's spirits um i'm one of these people that gets like prickly heat so i find the sun quite difficult so i'm i'm happy enough to stay indoors when these things happen and as well as that i'd be conscious of my dogs you can't have them out in that heat so i'd be conscious of all those things and i'm very very pale so there are people like me out there i'm not on my own i don't think no i i'm, I'm the very same i'm the one that's under the umbrella <laughs> when i'm on a foreign holiday i'm more likely to be on an umbrella in the sun than i am in the rain but, uh, no it, it is quite hard and obviously as you say for pets and for those maybe that can't mm. you know obviously cool themselves and, and, and kind of make decisions themselves it is hard and especially you know at the height of the the strength of the sun the uv levels this time of the year are incredibly high so you know sunburn is a very big issue and funnily enough a lot of people don't realize that our top temperatures very often are four o'clock in the day between mm. four and five o'clock is actually when it gets warmest a lot of the time so it really is late evening before it starts to uh, to cool down anyway at all when we have this kind of high pressure shift over and i suppose the big question is how long is this all going to last are we going to be drowned next week? Um, there's no sign of that coming, but it's, it's going to stay very warm now up till at least Thursday and Friday. Um, and if anything, it's going to be a little bit warmer um, probably Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We, we, we'll probably see some areas breaking 30 degrees over the next couple of days. Um, so I'm not sure we'll, we'll see any all-time records hit, but we'll certainly get close to some local records. Um, the all-time record is 33.3 degrees um, for Kilkenny. <laughs> but the all-time July record is 32.3 in West oh, no. oh. we, might, we might get 31. We might get 31. So it's going to be very hot up to and including Thursday. 
a little bit more in the way of hazy cloud mm. um, towards it. Also, there is a small chance of a little shower kicking off, and actually inland in the northeast could see some of those tomorrow afternoon, um, or even this afternoon, but more likely tomorrow afternoon. And they'll be very hit and miss, um, but there is a chance of that. But there's a low-pressure system that looks to be trying to come up towards us Friday into the weekend, which will bring temperatures back a little bit, but not a lot, to be honest with you, Alison. Still looking oh, at 23, 24. Okay. Um, there is going to be some showers around. Now, actually, further north where you are, you're actually more likely to avoid them. Um, it's more the south. But there is a risk of showers over the weekend. But it might just hold on. Um, so if you're one of those lucky people, as I'm saying, people that have won the weather jackpot and you're on a staycation <laughs> this week, um, you're looking like it's going to be an amazing week. I know. All those people heading off now with their COVID certs to fly off to foreign countries. They're like, no, sorry. But that's always the way, isn't it? When the good weather comes, people are off on the holidays and we're all here in Costa del Drogheda. It is. I mean, I came out of a supermarket the weekend and I thought I was in Spain. You know, I've seen it when you walk out of the supermarket and the heat hits you or you step off a plane. So it is. And it's as hot here as it is in parts of Portugal. Now, some parts of Europe are, are getting near 40 degrees, mm. so it is wow. even hotter. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty much as hot as it is anywhere across Europe at the moment, um, inland Europe at least. So it, it, it make the most of it. We, we don't know how what things are going to happen after next weekend. It does look like it might become a little bit more unsettled and maybe temperatures dropping back a bit. So um, I suppose make hay when the sun shines. Is well, the I'll be the party pooper and say I'm welcoming that. I'm welcoming that. <laughs> but Alan, thanks very much for joining us. We look forward to the rest of the week and uh, enjoying basking in that glorious weather. That's Alan O'Reilly there from Carlo Weather. Thanks, Alan. Welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly. I'm filling in for Jerry Kelly all this week while he has a well-earned holiday in that gorgeous weather. So I'd love to hear from you. I'm here until half three every day till Friday. You can text me when it's safe to do so on 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658. Or you can email the station as well at info at lmfm.ie. Now, I don't know if you're like me and uh, you've become fascinated with wildlife in the past year, particularly during COVID, because we had heard all of the beautiful music and sounds and bird songs all around our garden um, while we centred ourselves in a lockdown away from everybody else. We opened our hearts and minds to the gorgeous birds that visit our garden. Um, Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland, a very good friend of mine, is on the line. and Delighted to talk to you, Niall. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Oh, uh, Niall, do you know, I'll tell you something, I'm just fascinated with the continuing families of birds that are arriving in my garden in the north inner city. Um, I suppose you're inundated with people in the last year in particular because of the love we've developed and renewed for wildlife. It's been really fantastic to see it, actually. You know, I think it's one of the one of the, the, the silver linings from the very, very dark cloud that is COVID to see more people connecting with nature, getting uh, an understanding more of our role within the natural world and, and entertainment from it as well. I think it's been, been lovely to see that. Lots of families and children particularly getting involved in wildlife for the first time. We're definitely getting more birds reported to us in Birdwatch Ireland. We're getting uh, more people taking part in our surveys. And I'm really pleased to say we're getting more people joining us as members and helping to support our work as a conservation charity too. So it's been great. Absolutely fantastic. I'll tell you now, in my garden, I have magpies, sparrows, finches, wild pigeons, wood pigeons. I haven't seen a robin yet. Um, and I have loads of seagulls. And I only realised that the dirty brown bird is actually the baby seagull. I didn't only realise that the other day. 
Yeah, that's right. With with, with uh, large gulls like like the herring gull, it takes four years for them to reach full maturity. So especially for the first year of life, they're kind of like, as you say, dirty brown kind of birds, but big, same size as their parents. Uh, but it takes them four years to get that full uh, grey and white plumage that the adults have. And I have a heron as well. I think I told you that. Oh. He appears yes, every now yes. and then. He appears every now and then. Not very often, but he's very loud. Oh, yes, especially when herons learn to, 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 to be accustomed to people and know where they can find food in your houses. They are quite uh, protective of that. They do make this, this weird sort of crack kind of noise. They make it almost prehistoric. It's like something you can imagine a dinosaur making or something like that. Mm. It certainly sounds like you've got a nice mix there of birds in the garden. I have. And I'm sure that the, as the seasons progress now, we're getting, you know, getting into a time when it becomes very interesting to watch birds. It's coming to the autumn, we'll get migrants coming and going. And then in the winter, especially as the weather starts to get cold, hard to think of that now with the lovely warm weather we're having at the moment. Mm. But in a few months' time, it'll be be a lot colder and you'll find more and more birds coming into your garden there and we're hoping that uh, with all this this newfound interest in birds especially around gardens that uh, at the end of november through to february we're hoping that people will take part in our irish garden bird survey that bird Ireland runs every winter and tell us a bit more about the different birds that everyone has visiting their gardens it's really great because you do really rely on the public don't you for numbers because a huge amount of birds are on the danger list and um, how can yeah. we help birds how can we help wild birds because my mother says you're not supposed to feed them during in the summer, but I don't think that's correct. Is that right? Oh, certainly feeding you can tell birds her now, summer, Niall, she's listening. No, see, feeding birds during the summer is absolutely fine. There's no problem with that whatsoever. You'd probably find that they eat less food at feeders in gardens in the summer than they would in the autumn or in the winter when the weather is colder and it's harder for them to find food. But feeding during the summer, no, it does no harm at all. Uh, it used to be feared that the adult birds would take a lot of this, let's call it artificially provided food, and give it to their chicks in the nests. But they have more sense than we gave them credit for. They know that their chicks mostly need insect larvae, hard, high-protein insect food. And so they find those and give them to chicks and they really use the food that we have in our feeders to supplement their own diets and then around now when you've got lots of juvenile birds have left their nests they've joined their parents in the population they're already on an adult diet and so having food in in different feeders in your garden can be a real, a real boost to them at this time of year get them a good start in life Anyone who's interested in doing this at birdwaterand.ie, we have a whole section there about feeding garden birds. And um, so, of course, that, that's one thing that we can do. But, of course, it's important to remember that it's only, it's only a very um, select number of different species in Ireland that actually do visit gardens. The vast majority of Ireland's bird species don't go next night or near a garden. And so we need to look at ways to protect those and help those as well, because they're some of our most endangered. I think the most important thing of all as, as a conservation organisation is for people to ask decision makers, ask people at election time or ask their local authorities or whatever to make sure that they know that birds and wildlife are important to them. And also that the people understand that uh, birds being such a visible form of wildlife, they, they're indicator species. They reflect changes that are going on in our environment. So when we see changes in bird populations for good or for bad, it tells us an awful lot about the health of the overall environment that at the end of the day, we humans rely on as well. So I think that's a point that's, that's sometimes lost. So we're, we're hoping that, you know, that, that, that we genuinely believe that, 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 that farmers and landowners across Ireland de- desperately need more support from the state when it comes to doing the right things by biodiversity. We need to make sure that this is a properly taught to children and curriculum in schools. Uh, it's still done in a very piecemeal way. And we need to have more joined up thinking when it comes to natural protection in Ireland. We lag behind quite a few other European countries, I have to say, in that regard. So we have to rattle the politicians at the door and get them to speak up for these birds. Absolutely. We're hoping people will do that. Absolutely. Because politicians tell us, they say, we know Ireland's in a biodiversity crisis. We know there's all these ecological problems all over the world. But at election time, when we go talking to people at their doorsteps, they never mention the environment. They never mention uh, birds and wildlife. And the thing is, 
future generations are going to look back at us as our generations being so foolish to not mm. realize what was staring us in the face. We see declines in so many of our natural bird populations, as, as you've been saying, uh, as you said earlier, a lot of Ireland's uh, wild birds are in big trouble. Mm. Uh, there's a, there's a, an alarm bell ringing there. There's something causing that, or many things causing it, in fact. Things are going out of kilter in the natural world, and that's going to hit all of us very hard too. Niall, tell us about peregrines. There seems to be new ones in trim, we're told. Yes, the very exciting news here. I saw the mm. news broke there last week uh, that uh, a pair of peregrine falcons have been seen nesting at the Yellow Steeple in trim. It seems they raised successfully raised uh, two young this year and now they're, they're flying around the town. And so it's very exciting. Peregrine falcon, one of my favourite birds of all time. Uh, for those who don't know them, they're a bird of prey. Uh, they feed on other birds and they're the fastest animal in the world. So whenever I say that, I'm just talking to a group of school children, I always say the fastest animal in the world the peregrine falcon and they always say I thought the cheetah was the fastest animal in the world well the cheetah that big cat is uh, the fastest at running on land so they can they can can run very fast indeed uh, speeds over 60 kilometers an hour which is very fast to run uh, the peregrine falcons leave them in the shade because in flight they can reach speeds of over 300 kilometers an hour which is far yeah. faster than any other animal on the planet and to think that a bird like that nesting right in the heart of trim where people can see them coming and going and enjoy them it's just spectacular yes but also be careful around them don't get too close to them and don't be upsetting them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, these birds have chosen to nest in a town centre, and they're mm-hmm. nesting. They nest up very high, and they tend to stay high up on buildings. So when they're doing that, you know, they're, they're out of reach of people, and uh, it's uh, you know, so there's no disturbance there at all. We would ask people to enjoy them from a safe, respectful distance. Uh, the birds may well take care of that themselves by being up high on buildings. So, and um, it's something to be aware of. Um, but hopefully, the, the humans and the birds will be able to coexist, uh, and hopefully, they won't come to any harm. Because sometimes you do get people who want to harm peregrine falcons, which is absolutely disgraceful, and it's, uh, they're fully protected by law. And so. We're asking people to, to keep an eye out and if people notice any suspicious behaviour or activity uh, to please uh, to please let the Gardaí and the National Parks and Wildlife Service know. Yeah, see, I don't understand that. I don't understand why anyone would harm any animal, any bird, any, I just don't, I don't get it. But unfortunately it happens. It does. There's, there's, a, there's a very small minority of ignorant people out there who, who have an agenda against birds of prey um, without realising, of course, that they're a really important part of our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a bird of prey in an area is actually a real compliment. It shows that the ecosystem is going well because, of course, they rely on smaller birds and other creatures to feed on. So when you have a birds of prey nesting somewhere like Trim, it shows that there's a healthy population of other smaller birds around there. It shows that the people of Trim are doing something right when it comes to wildlife and something that they should be very, very proud of. And so hopefully people will, will take these birds to heart, will enjoy seeing them, and we'll stand up for them. And, you know, it's funny you should say that because some hawk-type, owl-type bird, I don't know what it was, flew into my garden recently and took one of the little sparrows. And I oh. tried to intervene and I was like, no, sure, he had him in his claws. I don't know what that was, but it looked a bit, looked a bit like an owl, that kind of look. It, it, it was it was, in, it was during the daytime it was in your garden it was yeah. catching a sparrow my my bet would be that it was a bird called a sparrow hawk they are quite owl-like they some sort of body shape they have big staring eyes not quite as big as yeah. the eyes on an owl but still very very owl-like mm. uh, and uh, yes the sparrow hawk is the bird of prey that's most likely to be seen in an Irish garden and of course yeah they, they, they do catch other birds that's how, that's how they live um, in the same way that let's say a blue tit <laughs> catches baby yeah. butterflies that's what they live on yeah. Uh, just, to say, yeah just to say as well just about the, the peregrines there as well if anyone wants to learn mm. more about them. The, uh, the Mead branch of Birdwatch Ireland, a wonderful uh, group of volunteers there who do great work for us around the county. They're actually hosting an online Zoom talk, which will be given by my colleague John Lusby, all about uh, the Peregrines in Trim. It's going to be at 7pm on the 27th of July. It's completely free. And if people are looking for information on that and how to register and, and, and take part, just go to birdwatchirelandmead.com. And so people can find that there. It's 27th of July, birdwatchirelandmead.com. Learn all about the Peregrine Falcons of Trim. 
Fantastic, Niall. Um, before you go, Niall, water is a huge thing, particularly in this very intense heat. Shouldn't we leave out like bird baths, lots of fresh water for birds at the moment to give them a hand? Yes, it's been very dry, of course, over the, over the, the last few days in particular. We've had quite a dry summer, all things considered as well. That means a lot of natural ponds and pools are very depleted. The water's evaporated. Birds need water to drink and to bathe in, just like we do. And birds need to keep uh, to bathe very frequently because they need to keep their feathers in tip-top condition. Many of them will be undertaking long migratory journeys in the weeks to come. And so they need to make sure that those feathers are in pristine condition to help them do that. And then, of course, what happens as well is then birds need to drink just like we do. Uh, and so if they can't find access to clean, safe drinking water, many of them may perish. So uh, simply putting out a, a basin of water in the garden, um, not too deep, you know, maybe you put a few stones in it. So there's like a shallow end and deep end. So the birds can go in there, they can bathe in there, they can drink. And even just having some water out in the garden for a few hours each day can really make a world of difference. So I definitely would recommend that to anybody. So plenty of fresh water out there for the birds to bath in and to drink. And to obviously don't interfere with nests because it's the nesting season and let them let them do their thing. Yes, when it comes to nests, it's best to, to, to enjoy them from a safe, respectful distance. Uh, don't get so close that you cause any disturbance to the birds because at this stage, there'll be quite a few uh, adult birds which have chicks in the nest that are pretty well developed uh, and the, the parents get very nervous. If they see a person coming towards the nest, they don't know that you're just curious. They, 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 uh, may, they think that you're a predator who means them harm. What can happen is they can abandon the nest mm. or, or what can happen when the chicks are a bit older, what happens is that they see danger and their natural instinct is to jump out of the nest and try to scurry away before they can fly. Uh, you know, it's, it's a risk there, but if they stay in the nest and that predator comes along, they'd all be killed. So that's the way they see the world. Um, so best to leave them alone and watch from a safe distance. And then hopefully in the weeks to come, you're going to have lots of young birds with mum and dad all around the garden and you can enjoy them then at your leisure. Fantastic stuff, Niall. So how can people get in touch with you or see the work that you do? Well, our website is birdwatchireland.ie and people can find all details of our projects and surveys on there, details of our local branch events that we have. We have lots of those coming up now, lots of online talks happening, like the one about peregrines. Uh, and you can also join as a member if you click on the Become a Member uh, button there. We, As a charity, we really need that support. Uh, and uh, we, you know, we're very proud of, of the things that our members allow us to, to make possible on their behalf, look after Ireland's wild birds and their habitats. And also on social media. So if you go on Facebook, look for Birdwatch Ireland and also on Twitter, um, you'll find us there as well. And feel free to ask us questions get in touch with us we love to hear from people brilliant stuff Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland thanks so much for joining us here on The Late Lunch um, if you were listening there just before the break I was talking to Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland and you know I forgot to tell him that I've actually developed this newfound love for seagulls yes seagulls <laughs> I don't think my neighbours like me very much but uh, I've been watching them in fascination and I just think that they are incredible they're really really quirky birds <laughs> they're they just they're just so funny the way they uh, they make so much noise but if you sit and watch watch them and I'm not asking you to sit and watch them now but it's something that I've got stuck into recently and I just think that they are quirky and funny but unfortunately they do attack and uh, you have to kind of stay away from them but uh, it is the nesting season so they're very very protective but speaking of protecting yourself um, there's a Dundalk based instructor who says taxi drivers are sitting ducks when it comes to attacks and should be encouraged to learn some form of self-defence to defend themselves if necessary now Anthony Cunane is on the line Anthony, how are you? How are you doing, Alison? Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get people to protect themselves from seagulls when they get a bit aggressive. But taxi drivers, 
Um, now, th- I have to confess, this isn't something I would have thought about a lot, but I, I've, I've read what you've been saying about this and it is actually really, really important. They are sitting there. They are waiting for any sort of intruder or anybody could come up um, and uh, attack them. So you want to teach people how to disarm an, atta- an attacker? Well, we want to leave a physical physical force to, to, to that's that's something that we don't want to happen. Mm. So basically, you want uh, taxi drivers to be able to have like a plan, like a safety plan, mm. to minimise uh, their potential threat or potential aggressive situation. So basically, I would call I would call all the taxi drivers to uh, to do specialised training in in basically uh, to recognise, avoid, or maybe calm potential uh, violent violent situations. So. No, nobody wants to be in a in a physical altercation, or you have to use physical force. But there is procedures that you can you can use and, and have a safety game plan to uh, so basically prevent bad things happening to you, and also know what to do if you're in that situation. Yeah, so it's really prevention is better than cure. It's to it's to be aware and uh, to spot the signs um, and to be able to respond appropriately. Yeah, of course, and that's the last thing we want. We, the last thing we want is. A physical force to have to use physical force now sometimes that is the case that we've tried everything that we we, we, we we've tried all our safety game plans we've tried all these um, trying to minimize aggression or, or calm people down and then it has come to a situation where we have to use physical force mm. to defend ourselves and there is a certain amount of that the taxi driver should uh, be trained in so they can they can have some sort of skill to be able to defend themselves and are they not trained in stuff like this Anthony uh, well, for, back whenever, uh, it's a good few years ago now, I think it was five or six years ago, uh, when there was a taxi driver murdered in Dundalk, Martin Mulligan. And I I done, uh, well, I advertised a workshop, a free workshop for taxi drivers to learn a uh, safety plan, uh, procedures and some basic self-defence to defend themselves in their car, which is a very close, confined space, how to escape quickly, how to respond, how to react, and, you know, I think there was about three or four people turned up at the time. And this was free, you know. And mm. I just think that it should be mandatory uh, for taxi drivers to learn some sort of self-defense, some sort of game plan, some sort of uh, strategy. And uh, I just think that to know nothing is wrong. It's totally wrong to know nothing. You have to know something. You have to have a game plan. Well, you no. know, do you know sometimes people might be a little bit nervous about coming forward to do a class like that? It could have been a little bit of awkwardness. But behind the scenes, do anybody, do people ever phone you? Taxi drivers ever ring you and discuss how bad it is? Why, why taxi drivers? Well, uh, I'm not saying that I haven't uh, been training taxi drivers privately. I have trained tra- taxi drivers privately and they have contacted me and I've done some training with them in their cars, outside their cars, we, we, we would talk about a safety game plan, what to do in this situation, what to do in different scenarios, and that's the way I would teach them. Uh, and uh, but a lot of a lot of taxi drivers, they're maybe middle aged, maybe in their forties, maybe fifties. They would feel that they can't do anything if some guy pulls a knife on them in a the car. Yes, you know that's a very very aggressive situation, very dangerous situation. And we would never tell someone to fight someone with a knife on their car. That's a completely wrong thing to do. If someone just wants your they're taken for the night and they have a knife in their hand, you just give them their takings, their takings. But, you know, there is other things to do, other situations to avoid these, these, uh, these aggressive uh, uh, scenarios. And, you know, I have been training them privately, but I would like to do some sort of workshop, some sort of program, 
that can be availed of by uh, lots of taxi drivers if, if, if need be. And have you been speaking to anybody recently who's um, suffered an attack that you've had to give advice to? I mean, is this a recent thing? Well, there was a situation very recently, actually a student of mine who was attacked uh, recently uh, and it, it, it was uh, the t- situation sort of evolved where he was called out to a job. When he called out to a job, there's two men being aggressive to one another. He got out of the car, just tried to calm the situation down. He did not know that one of the guys had a had a hatchet in his hand. Uh, when he tried to calm the situation down, he was he the guy lunged at him with the uh, with the hatchet, and he had to uh, protect himself, block, and he took the guy to the ground, got the hatchet off him, and uh, was able to evade, escape, and get away in the car and uh, contact the guardy. My goodness, so, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's only one situation. Like, I mean, mm. that's, that was recently, and he's a student of mine who, tra- who trains regular with me. Mm. It was not a situation not not too long ago where another taxi driver was kidnapped, uh, was threatened with a screwdriver and a Stanley blade to his throat, and he was taken out of the county, and he was threatened with his life, and, uh, you know, it was only because uh, uh, some other uh, vehicles came upon them, and they escaped, these two individuals escaped. But the taxi driver was left traumatised, and he's traumatised now for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, God, you know, yeah. so again, there's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of situations that we could talk about, but, mm. you know, I just think it should be mandatory for, and not only taxi drivers, you know, I've also talked to Bus Aaron uh, for bus drivers mm. and of Lewis course, drivers. Yeah. yeah, for these guys who are like sitting ducks, working in a dangerous occupation, especially at night time, where most attacks will happen. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's very serious, you know, when you think about it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God, of almighty people are constantly terrified of going on buses late at night. It's not just the drivers. If there's somebody on the bus as well, you know, an innocent bystander, uh, people can be just so aggressive. Um, Is there any sort of simple tips you can give now, just in terms of communication, if you stumble across something? Really, it's not to engage, isn't it? To stay away as much as you can. Well, like I said, the, you know, we, we do, we would do like uh, specialised programmes on safety training to like recognise, avoid or calm like potential violent situations. But like the simple things, you know, that that I would talk talk about is uh, like, uh, you know, I know I know that a lot of taxi drivers in Dundalk, for instance, where I am, they handle a lot of cash. You know, like a mm-hmm. lot of big cities now, uh, the taxi drivers aren't handling cash. You know, they're the payments online. You know, you pay through yeah. an app and. So, so that that decreased the chances of of being a target straight away, yeah. Because they know that you have cash on board, and if you can have a pay, online payment system, which I I really think that the likes of the big taxi firms should be starting to implement at this stage. Uh, you know, things have got there, you know. Yeah, there's a text in here saying I think the taxi training is vital. I see so many drunk people accelerating situations and feel sorry for the driver. I'm sure that happens quite a bit with drink taken. Yeah, and I was sent a video uh, from one of my other students of a taxi driver uh, in Dublin who who was um you know from the back seat there was a, there was a there was a passenger in the back seat and and again, someone who is high on drugs and alcohol and I you know obviously security cameras in your taxis is very very important mm-hmm. but but you know a guy who is high on drugs and who is who, who is uh has very bad intentions uh they don't care about uh security cameras you know, and it could be too late by that stage. Absolutely. You know, the, the driver could be harmed, could yeah. be seriously injured, you know. And this video that I was sent, like, you know, there was a knife put to the taxi Shocking driver's stuff, yeah. uh, throat. And this was just the other last week, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Again, um, the security cameras, 
uh, things like silent alarms, uh, tracking devices on your cars, also having emergency communication procedures to do with your uh, dispatcher and also other drivers. You know, having good safety plans in place that if anything does happen, you can get away safely. Okay, Anthony, thanks so much for that very vital information. Um, We're going to take a song now. If you're a fan of Wham, wake me up before you go-go. Thanks, Anthony. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the Renault, Dacia and Opel range. Whether it is a petrol, diesel, LPG, plug-in hybrid or electric, we have the perfect car for you. See blackstonemotors.ie. Now, welcome back to The Late Lunch with me, Alison O'Reilly, and for Jerry this week. And uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, text us 086-1800-658. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm in and out of Starbucks every day. And that's not a plug for Starbucks. It's just that I fancy that particular type of coffee. But I do find that, and I am very diligent when it comes to recycling. I take the cup home, I put it in the green bin, and then I take the lid and I put it in hard plastic bin. Uh, And then I bring it to the recycling centre in Dublin um, every few weeks. But this fantastic idea of edible coffee cups from Room 8 in Navin uh, sounds like it's right up my street and I'd love to hear more. Geraldine Nelson is on the line. Geraldine, how are you? Hello, Alison. Hi there. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Good, Um, good. Tell me about this innovative idea. I know it is so innovative and that's initially actually what uh, caught our attention. You know, um, just the fact that the whole recycling is such a huge thing, you know, Mm. what the plan is going on at the moment. So, Anything that's eco-friendly is always going to be amazing, you know. Mm. So um, this um, particular product was recommended kind of from a fr- by a friend that kind of had thought and we've kind of been treated by it all, firstly because something's so new, you know. Um, we have a really, really good coffee trade here in, in Room 8. Uh, we stock the delicious Jab Republic and... Um, so we knew it would definitely be something, first of all, that we were interested in, secondly, that our customers would, would kind of embrace, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it's a completely natural uh, product. It's made from all natural grains like oat, bran, flour. It is vegan now, but it's not gluten-free. Mm. It's, um, it's, it's delicious, actually. It's very, very crispy and, and it tastes really delicious. So you can like sip on your coffee and nibble your cup on the way down or you can just drink your coffee and then nibble it afterwards. Do you know I what just, I mean? I just had this little vision. Yeah, no, I know, I know. No, People drinking their coffee and then eating the coffee. I know, I know. And you but know, it's the a great idea. We loved about is obviously in COVID times, yeah. all living with now and, and sanitisation, yeah. sanitising everything else. And we love the fact that every cup is kind of dressed with a little protective um, sleeve at the bottom of it. So it makes very, very easy handling for, for, for staff. Initially, obviously, that would be first to touch it, so you can touch it by the base of the cup. And then, obviously, when you put it down onto a surface like to a serve over area before the customer takes it, uh, there's no direct contact, so the cup is totally isolated from okay. any contact. And then um, the little sleeve then is also recyclable as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so it's a, a very, very intriguing little product and, and uh, very unique, you know. And it has lots of little lovely, little unique selling points. Now, mm. it's relatively new to us, and we're still working with it and promoting it and all of that, you know, having only been back open, you know. So, yeah, so it's interesting times ahead. Yeah. So so what does it taste like? Is it like, I have this idea that it's like p- eating paper. Do you remember all that from well, years ago? You know, yeah, I know. Well, it's actually not actually. Now, it's, mm. you know, like we would have so many customers coming in, say, grabbing, like, say, a protein ball or, you know, yeah. just a little a little snack or a croissant that's going along the way with a coffee. And, you know, like the feedback from the customer, well, obviously when we sample ourselves, we love the taste. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like almost like a nice crispy wafery flavour. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, not yeah. So it's, it's because it's so natural. There's no added sugars mm. or you know any of the bad stuff in there. Do you know? So it's very very. Um, 
Uh, it's actually very, very tasty. Surprisingly tasty. And there's something about the hot drink, the coffee especially. Obviously, you can have any hot drink. If it's like orangey to cold drink, you can mm-hmm. have like ice creams or uh, hot chocolates or whatever you want in it, you know. But there's something about that I personally feel the coffee flavour really enhances the um, the crispiness of it's almost like kind of like a strong wafer yeah. you know a sort of way oh, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah nice yeah, so, mm, yeah no it is I have to say it's, it's very very nice very nice. and it's lovely because you can, you get to the end of it and you don't feel like you know you've had a heavy snack you're like you know it's kind of light enough that yeah. it's kind of you know it, it'll kind of curb any little craving you have if you want something kind of like for hunger or indeed mm. for a little treat and at the same time then you know it, um, it satisfies that as well you know so yeah. they, co- they complement each other they do. That's the word, Alison. Yes, they certainly do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, what yeah. about the lid, though, Geraldine? There is no lid. See, that's the thing. Okay, no okay, lid. okay. No, there's no lid, you know, no. So you will be kind of like, you know, walking along, kind of, you know, sipping and nibbling on the go kind of thing. As yeah, you, as see, you go. The, the lid yeah. drives me mad. That's the thing that bothers me the most because mm. it is hard plastic and we mm. as a country are not up to speed on recycling plastic and it's a massive issue. It's a massive it issue is. across the world. Um, yeah, we have a text yeah, in here saying, I love the way such simple and innovative ideas can help the planet. Small steps oh. which are open to all. And it is, I mean, that's the most important thing because I, I'd say, you know, you running this um, coffee shop, you would witness the level of litter that oh. goes with cups and oh it drives me mad it drives me mad I know it is huge it is now our regular cup is also recyclable and our lids are indeed as well mm. but I'm a bit like you I'm one of those people that I, I take if I get a coffee and I take, I take the lid off I personally don't like the taste mm. of the, the coffee through the lid I just like to drink it like but I mean the whole recycling is huge and you know something that's eco-friendly and there's mm-hmm. absolutely zero waste I mean it's just it's an amazing little, little product, you know. It's very, very intriguing, you know. Yeah, and, and it's, co- it's really good as well, though. Like, you know, for those people who do litter, like, just say, mm. you know, and it's horrible, but just say they do throw it away. It's not going mm-hmm. to damage the environment. Now, I'm not encouraging people exactly. to throw their cups away, but, no, you know, no, it is, yeah. it's biodegradable. Well, see, that's the thing. You know what I mean? It's like, it stays leak-proof for mm. about 12 hours. So, like a day, say. So, it's leak-proof for a day. So, nothing will come through for a day. And then after that, then, it's just, as you said, biodegradable. It just kind of goes off into the into the, into the the ground or whatever, or the birds can eat it or whatever it is. You know what I mean? If someone does throw it away. And, and that's that's fantastic. Like, it really is in this day and age. You know, when we're, as you said, we're all so conscious, you know, of the level of waste and, you know, trying to do the right thing, you know with disposable items and putting them in the right bins and stuff, you know, so it's, it's, it's really, really good. Yeah, I know, it's really it's good. less of, a, of an effort. I know we have to it be is. very conscious of these things, but it's less of an effort, isn't it, if you can just well, eat the thing, <laughs> just yeah, eat the cup. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how's, yeah, how's it yeah. gone down with your customers themselves? Are they asking for it? Well, yes, I mean, they are. I mean, you know, it's, it's as I said, it's early days. It's very, very mm. early days for stocking this product, you know, but having said that now, you know, we have been trying to promote it through our social media challenge and I've been able to speak to you today is fantastic as well mm. and uh, yeah no the customers that, we, that have had it so far have loved it and we've had repeat business on it you know what I mean and uh, yeah so very very well received yeah I have to say very well received yeah it's a fantastic idea because it is one of the things I know we say that we're very conscious about these things but I wonder Geraldine are we like because I just see so much litter everywhere and I think God this green wave you know what, what happened to this I know they are teaching it in schools and I know we have to be more conscious but there's still a huge litter problem. I know. Look, as you said, there's lots of work to be done and now more than ever people out and about in the summer do you know what I mean? People are out and they're on our beaches and they're, mm-hmm. you know, in parks and going for walks and litter is always a problem do you know what I mean? And uh, you know, anything that anyone can do to kind of keep keep uh, keep it all down and you know, put, you know recycle and 
you know, uh, it's, it's great. And as I said, you certainly won't have that problem with these cups. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you the first coffee shop in the country to do it? Uh, probably not the first in the country, I don't think. Uh, no, but we're certainly the first in Navin. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, they have uh, the company that uh, supplies us, uh, they're based in Ashburn, and they have um, they have various uh, coffee shops kind of throughout Dundalk and Lowes and all that that are stocking their products. But they're a very, very new company. They, they, they're just mm. couple, they're a lovely little family business, and they're very new to this business as well. And um, so they, um, they're, as I said, with the whole COVID and lockdown and all that and all the restrictions, mm. uh, they're now building this product. And they, their, their hope and dream is to get it into every coffee shop and anywhere that sells hot or cold drinks because it's wonderful, as I said, for ice cream as well. You know, so your children can have their, yeah. their ice cream in it and, and eat the cup as well. It yes. comes in two sizes, Alison, you see. So you have kind of the regular size, the the uh, the two twenty mil like for your coffee, and then the hundred and ten mil then like say for say for like espresso or indeed for for ice creams as well. You know. Yeah. So, well, um, congratulations on a brilliant so idea, and uh, I, we, we're all a little bit afraid of change, but this is good change. Well, actually, look, you know what? I mean, we've all had to embrace so much mm. change over the last year and a half. So, and this is something very, very positive, both uh, uh, for, as you said, for the environment and um, and for people. You know, for the summer days and being out and about, and it's a it's a it's a great change. Yeah. For fantastic, sure. yeah. fantastic, Thank Geraldine. You, um, that's Geraldine Nelson there, the manager of Room Eight in Navan. Great to talk to you, Geraldine, and congratulations oh, thank again you for having me on. Thank you so much, Alison. No problem at all. Well, that's it. Um, that's my first shift over, Louise. <laughs> I would be lost without Louise Walsh, the uh, producer of Late Lunch here, because, uh, you know, when you feel like the your first day, your first day in school, your first day on the new job and uh, <laughs> trying to do a good job because I have big, big shoes to fill with Jerry Kelly being away. Uh, but I'll be back tomorrow at half past one and I'm looking forward to hearing from you all. We've got uh, a packed show um, all week and tomorrow we're going to be speaking to Carol Baskin from Tiger King, um, the documentary on Netflix that just swept the world and all the headlines and continues to do so. I'm sure you've all heard of Joe Exotic. Well, Carol Baskin will be on the line tomorrow. And we'll also be speaking to a girl from RD whose father is the Irish Joseph Fritzl. It's Irish Joseph Fritzl. It's a very difficult story, but uh, she'll be joining us tomorrow. So thank you to everybody who listened. Thanks to all our guests. And thanks to Louise Walsh, who got me through my first day. Talk to you tomorrow. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.